0: Praise God. Good morning, everybody. On your seats somewhere near you, grab one of these. There's a a sheet there. We're working our way through the Bible for those of you here for the first time. And we've come all the way up to 1 Kings. And if you turn, if you can, to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid, fear, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. He became alone. He isolated himself while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. He's become suicidal. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Maybe his ancestors were depressed. (laughs) Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. And at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night there. Famous little piece of scripture, all right, and I want to dig into it today. Do you remember ME? Remember ME, the, the, the disease, the, the, the condition, the sickness? It came out, I never heard of ME, but it came out maybe 20 years ago, and it kind of became trendy. Excuse me for saying that, I'm not demeaning ME, it's a serious sickness. But lots of people started to say, oh, I think I've got ME, I think I've got ME. I had never heard of ME, had you? Right? I'd never heard of it. And it kind of makes you think. There's a lot of illnesses. There's a lot of conditions like that. I heard that they found dinosaur bones recently. And when they drew out the, the, the DNA and stuff, they found cancer in dinosaur bones. That's a long way back, right? Some diseases, some conditions have been in the human race a long time other conditions, other illnesses are more modern. And we need to be, of course, mindful of those that have infested the human race for all generations, but we have to be careful and maybe more astute about the modern ones, like diabetes, for instance. No doubt, diabetes has always been in the human race, but there's a spike in the world right now. And the reason there's a spike, it can kill you, you know is because of diet, because of people eating too much of the wrong sorts of food. And today I want to talk about one of the spirits of our age, and that spirit is depression. Now, could I have my first slide up there? Take a look at this this graph a minute, and this will give you some idea of the type of increase that we are seeing in the world in depression. This graph represents the depression rate in India from 19. 89 to 1999, and it's still rising today. In the UK, the depression rate is 10 times higher today than it was in 1945. And if you look around the world, could I have the world map up, please, Stefan? Take a look at this. The dark red areas here are the areas where most people commit suicide. (laughs) Who wants to go to Russia? Look at that, China. Pretty serious stuff, man. and take a look at Africa. If, if it's white, the white areas are the least amount of suicide. Now, I know people, maybe the age rate, etc., is not that long there. But Belarus, I, I found to be the worst country in the world. 36 out of every 100,000 people kill themselves in Belarus. That's the statistic. Whereas in some, pe- in some countries, it's only 4%. In Africa, very low, except for Zimbabwe. Oh, sorry, folks. <laughs> Sorry about that. That must be Mugabe. You'd be depressed if you lived under him for 30 years, wouldn't you? (laughs) Big variations because spirits, my friend, are territorial. Spirits dominate certain countries, and we've spoken about that before. And when you come to another land, you need to get cute about the spirit of that land. You need to know what you're going into. In fact, when I looked at these statistics, I was looking at Eastern Europe this week. In the top six or seven countries... A lot of them are, in, are in, in Eastern Europe. And there is a very heavy spirit over there. But you go all the way from Belarus, which has got 36, I think it was, out of every 100,000 people topping on themselves, all the way over to places like Africa there where people just don't do that to anywhere near the same degree. The UK's in the middle. I think it's 6.4, something like that, percent of, uh, of people in every 100,000 kill themselves. I want to look at this as what is undoubtedly a spirit of our age. Now, depression in the Bible, it's there. You just got to dig it out and find it. And the first person I would think you could say had depression was Jacob when Esau chased him and he went all on his own and a bit like Elijah here and laid his head on a rock and he was isolated just like he was tired and lonely. But the Bible's biggest example and best example without a doubt is the second one which we just read, Elijah. Please listen folks, Elijah is one of the greatest men of God of all history. Now answer me this question, who is susceptible to depression? Elijah is one of the three people who lived on this earth that God didn't let them die. Enoch, raised up. Elijah, raised up. Jesus Christ, raised up. Elijah's a very special guy. Obviously, something there that God wanted and took out. It said that Enoch pleased God so much, he didn't let him die. Elijah was like that. And yet, this mighty man, this great man, became subject to a spirit in his day, in his age, and that was depression. And we would be foolish if we think that this is like an age-old thing or it's something that doesn't affect us. Believe me, it's like loneliness. It can affect anybody at any time. And you will have friends, family members, spouses, children that you need to know how to deal with them. You need to know how to guide them through the murky waters of depression and get them out the other side. I can't think of anything that could be further from the Christian life than to be depressed. Amen? Nothing could be further from, the, the, f- from what should be your reality. And so this morning, just we need to deal with it sometime, so we'll deal with it today, um, and I'll try and make it as happy as possible. Not easy. Let's look first of all at the causes of depression within the, our society and the things that may affect you. I, I've, I've put first of all societal pressures. Currently, they are so high. Now, look up here a minute, folks. I repeat, society puts such pressure on you. Moms and dads, they want you to get A's, A+. Plus. Don't you come home with a B or a C? We paid for your education, etc., etc. And the pressure on children to do well and fulfill whose dreams? Parents' dreams. Naughty. Remember, when you have a child... It's on loan from God Almighty. And the good father will never impress his own life or the things he didn't achieve onto that child. The good father has one job to do, and that's to look at the child and seek God. And say, God, what's your plan for this child? Not mine, not theirs. But I will guide them in what you have made them for. Like Samuel. Okay, that's, a good, that's good parenting. And man, we are bereft of it. We miss it so much. But societal pressures. Put pressures on children by parents. Your peers can put pressure on you. You may put pressure on yourself. And that's an incredibly destructive thing. And these pressures are all comparative, you know. We compare each other with each other. I'm not as well educated as this person. My husband's not as... Smart as Sue My husband's not as good looking as Sister Jeanette's, You know. <laughs> Always comparison. Comparing, comparing, comparing. And you will get nowhere. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complete trial. I shared with you a few weeks back. My father had nine children. one after, And I was the last one. And by the time he got to me, he was a man of God. And he made many mistakes like any father would. But by the time he got to me, he grabbed me and he said, you know what? One thing you're going to find, boy, and that's the important thing, the will of God. And this day, I'm the only one out of the nine in ministry. Very well educated, the whole family. But he learned from his mistakes. And if we're not careful, folks, you see, do you know what society creates? We create a Frankenstein. We have our children and we make them into what we want them to be. And they end up being some sort of morphed, distorted reality. We wonder why they're not happy. And we just know in our gut that there was something greater. There was something more and I missed it. I went for the silver and I missed the gold. I wanted to impress my my uncles and my sisters and brothers because they all had this and that and the other. And I forgot about the one thing. God! I forgot God! And I pursued like the world pursues. How stupid have I been? Don't do it. Don't create a Frankenstein of your own making, folks. You and your children are unique You're a gift to this world from God. You have a purpose. You have a goal that was determined in eternity past. Amen. Come on. You've got that goal. And my advice to you, every one of you, is you should stop at nothing to achieve that goal. Let nothing stand in your way. Certainly not societal pressures. Certainly not family pressures or the expectations that other people will put upon you. You need to be very careful of that, folks, because they are everywhere in our workplaces, in your college, when it's never quite good enough. You know the story. You've got to learn to shake that stuff off. Amen. You don't need to live like that. You'll become depressed. <laughs> it's one of the pressures. It's one of the causes. It's the first cause I've mentioned, not in any, any order here second cause again not in any order of importance or 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 statistical prevalence drug use drug use is today much more prevalent than it ever was and the reason for that is because of wealth and the price of drugs has gone down and down and down used to be expensive used to you know crack was a a rich man's drug as it were well not anymore you can go and buy cocaine when we were in ireland they, they, they 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 were terrified of it the drug addicts used to pray Remember. They used to cry that God would keep the cheap crack because they knew it would destroy them. They knew it would kill them. Well, it came. It came, and they did die by the dozen. And drugs, any form of drug, whether it's alcohol or cocaine, or it's all a depressant. And, of course, in the day you live, folks, listen to me, in the age that you're responsible for, this is prevalent. It's on every street corner in Mary Hill, in Postle Park, in Somerston, This is what affects the people that we preach to, we reach out to, your colleagues, right? So societal pressures, drug use can be a cause of depression, or getting older, your your age can be a cause of depression. Amen? (laughs) Everybody say amen. Business week, last week, listen to this article. The article entitled, ironically, was this, the new boss is younger than the old boss. I must be getting, my eyesight's going here. I have to hold it back here. You know, it's terrible, isn't it? Meet the new boss, younger than the old boss. Ruben is one of approximately 140 executives in the, in the, top, in the top companies listed around the world who are 40 years old or younger. Whew, that's a lot. Now, I'd, I'd heard about that before. The average age of the CEOs, of the conglomerates, of the multinationals has been coming down and down and down and down. Could I have the Prime Minister up here? Take a look at these guys. Heavens above. I mean, it's not Clement Attlee, you know what I mean? Go back in history and you will see that the Prime Ministers of the past were much, much, much older. This is David Cameron and George Osborne. Youngest leadership team this country has ever had. Just a telltale sign of the day. I bet there was many, many people, a lot older, going for those jobs. And I bet there was many people, just because they were maybe, didn't look right, didn't behave right, and just because of a 10 years older or whatever, and there's a degree of prejudice that can happen there, age prejudice. It's just a fact about the the, 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 the age and the culture in which we live, they are getting younger. I mean, George Orsboe, uh, uh, he's in charge of the economy. Trillions and trillions of pounds that guy is in charge of. He looks like a baby. <laughs> you know, they're very young. No, actually, I think they're very competent, actually. So age can be one. Number four, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness just won't go away, will it? What did Jesus say would happen to you? Two things Jesus said. What did Jesus say would happen to you if you don't forgive? Shout it out! What's number one? You won't be forgiven. What's the second one? You'll be handed over to the tormentors. Now that doesn't drive you to depression. I don't know what would. If you listen to this, this is God, your loving Father, trying to get you to heaven, right? And if you, and He says this, this is God who loves you talking. And he says, if you hold unforgiveness in your heart, I will hand you over to be tormented day and night until you give it up. And I'm just saying, you meet people and there's no reason for them to be depressed. No reason for them to be down. And you have to start digging and say, tell me about your past. What are you carrying? that's causing this. There's something in you that's pulling you down. Oh, pastor, I'm tormented, can't sleep day and night. What's the root? Shouldn't be there. Let's, you know, think back and think what you're holding. Unforgiveness is a definite cause of torment. Many of you won't know Jamie Bulger, the the, the, the child that was killed in Liverpool, remember? That was a big thing. There's only three or four, and these two kids of 11 and 12... I think it was, took him and beat him to death. And it was a terrible thing, uh, absolutely awful. And my heart goes out to the mother. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen his mother. She comes on television quite regularly. But his mother made statements like this, even recently. I will never forgive. And you can see the torment that she lives in. That day and night, she wants to get back at them. And if I ever got the chance, and I'm sure plenty of the good pastors in Liverpool, I'm sure plenty of them have tried to get to her and say, do you know what, love? For your own sake, let it go. Let it go. And I have no doubt that she's depressed. The death of her children, it's a long time ago, friends. And time does heal. It does. But she will still be living that active because of one thing. And she will still be in that depression because of one thing. Not forgiven. This is a a central beam of the Christian faith and of a healthy Christian life. Number five, seasons. Seasons, and this, I mean, what a joke in Scotland, eh? (laughs) But the different seasons do affect people. In, 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 In the UK, this is a statistical fact, in the UK, doctors receive twice as many, double the number of people coming for medication and help for depression in the winter, than they do in the summer. Simply because the sun's covered and this is a pretty, you know, rainy place and dismal place sometimes, it can be very gray. That will affect different people in different ways. It doesn't really bother me that much. I I don't mind weather. It never did affect me. But some of you it will affect. And you need to think about it. If you start going down in the winter, hey, take a winter holiday instead of a summer holiday, right? Beat the weather at its own game. Go and get some sun, if that does affect you. But seasons, not just in the weather, but also times of the year are times of enormous vulnerability for people who are alone, like Christmas, for instance. And you need to start wising up. If you get lonely or down, start to get some friends around you. Get active. Get out. Go somewhere. Do something. Don't, you know, lie at home and lap it up in in loneliness. You simply don't need to do that. Now in fact, I'll leave that for just a moment. One of the traps the devil has for for, for you, if you're ever down, if you're having a bad week, a bad day, one of the things he whispers in your ear, listen to me, is this. That's it. You're going to be like this for the rest of your life. You're finished. You see how you feel right now? You can put a full stop. It's over. And that's what's depressing, because that's a lie. Amen? That's a lie. Because God has promised you what? Faith to faith. Glory to glory. He's promised you an ever-changing you. Yes? Moving into the next version. And that's his promise to you. And that's what you should believe. That's what you should aim for. Seasons. Outsmart them if you can. Number six. Causes of depression. We're talking about. There's the mental disorder of depression. I guess this is very, very important, folks. As you know, I worked in a mental hospital for about 10 years. So I understand that there's a very big difference here. Please listen, right? Because this is really important, could save some of you a lot of grief in your life. There's a mental illness called depression. But then there's depression because of circumstances because of life, these are two completely different things. When one of these people who's depressed because things have gone wrong, because this is not working or whatever, when someone in this department tries to become, (laughs) thinks they're one of these people, that's a big mistake. I hope you're understanding me. There's not many people with, praise God, with depression in this regard, if you know what I mean, just the standard numbers, because it's genetic. Normally it's it's, it's, it's a chemical imbalance in the brain. Okay, so there's clinical depression, but then there's circumstantial depression. I'm lonely. That's not clinical depression. That's not a mental illness. And, and people who don't understand the difference between the two often go wrong. For instance, listen, a person with clinical depression is depressed for no reason. There doesn't have to be a cause. Everything can be fine in their lives, but they're still down. But this person, it's a cause. There's a reason, and these people will often come. I, I was thinking through the week. One of the saddest cases I ever had was one of these people, a person who was depressed because, fair enough, there was some very bad, you know, deals going on in that guy's life, and he came to me said, "Oh, I'm going to go and see a doctor. I need medication." And I remember saying to him, "Listen, you don't need a doctor. You need a pastor." This is not clinical anything. You are not mentally ill. You've got circumstances that you need to face up to. And running for medication is not going to solve your problem. You're going the wrong direction. You're not mentally ill. You're having a hard time. And that's a different thing. You're a different sort of person. And I, you know, berated that guy. And I didn't see him for, it was years. And I was walking down the street one day. And this, this is a long time ago. And uh, he came towards me. It was a sad sight. You know, those chemicals and those drugs can give you like a straitjacket, you know? And they've got that. And he came towards me. I thought you've taken the tranquilizers. And he came up. He was totally humbled and broken. Oh, Pastor Mike. And he instantly replayed all of our discussions. You, You warned me. You warned me. And I didn't listen and I'm on the tranquilizers. And he was caught in that world simply by being a lazy Christian, not taking responsibilities for the fights and the battles he has, trying to take an easy way out, go and get some, what do they call it? You know, Prozac, some Largactyl, who don't do Largactyl anymore. But you know, go and get so, so-called easy way out. And then they get caught in, in, in that terrible place. For most of you, and even in the six congregations we have across Glasgow here, I only see one or two people, in my opinion, my unprofessional opinion, but I did work in a hospital a long time, (laughs) in my unprofessional opinion, I only see a couple of people in whom I would recognize that clinical thing that I saw for so many years, because it's a different thing. It's a different thing. It's a different look. It's a different manifestation. It's very deep, very serious, but I see many people whose depression or downward days, it's all someone else's responsibility, you know. I don't have to do anything for myself, and nothing could be further from the truth. And I wanted to grab that guy and say, get out of it, come on, fight, fight back, hit back. Where is it? Proverbs. God says, I gave them a sword for the day of battle, but they didn't use it. And at the end of the line, and so they were defeated. I gave you a sword, but you wouldn't fight. Living in a consumer age, you know when it's everybody else's responsibility. And that's what that guy did. He didn't want to fight. I'll just take some drugs and everything will be okay. Terrible folks. So don't make that mistake. Seventhly, under causes of depression, they, they do come in a family tree, just like anything else. Most of you, if I said, you know, if you had to be uh, diabetes and you went to a doctor, what's the first question the doctor's going to ask you? did your mother, did your father have diabetes? Did your grandfather have diabetes? And you have no problem with that question. But what you've got to understand is it's exactly the same with a mental disorder. That anything that, you know, spirit, if it is that, if that's what's getting you, you need to be willing to look back into your own family tree because it could have come down your family line. Now, this is... Prevalent. Depression is prevalent. Second part of your notes there today. What way do people go about dealing with it? What are the answers or what are the solutions that people take? Number one, sleep. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Many people don't need to be depressed to sleep. You just sleep anyway. Yeah. But d- depression is, can drive you to that. I told you when we lost the building in Dublin, or I thought we had lost it, we had hundreds of people waiting to move into this place and I get a phone call. Man, it really knocked me got a phone call telling me that the building was gone. What did I do? <laughs> I went to bed. I was walking down the street where I lived. I can't believe, even today, I can't believe I did that. But I really, it, it was like pulled a rug from under my feet. Everybody was so pumped up about it. We were ready. Ah, I, I just turned around. The phone call came, turned around, went back to my apartment, kept my clothes on, got in the bed and pulled this. Blanket over my head. What's wrong with me? <laughs> right? But that's a very common reaction. People find security in bed. Because there's no, you, you're in your own little world and I can hide in here. But I'm afraid the world's still out there when you get up. And you're going to have to get up sometime and you're going to have to go and face it. But when, if your husband, your wife starts to stay in bed, you need to look at that. You need to ask, are you okay? Are you okay? Hello? Are you in there? Because it's a bad sign. It's a warning sign that people are hiding from reality. So firstly, um, ways that people try and deal with depression. Sleep, drink and drugs, obviously a massive one in the UK, maybe not as bad in other parts of the world, but certainly big here and in the States, of course. Sexual promiscuity is huge because it's a distraction. And people turn to all sorts of relationships after death. That's a very common thing. And when depression hits, they look outside of themselves. But fourthly, and the biggest one to deal with depression, is people go into unreality. And that, to me, is probably the biggest one I face today. I get lots of emails from people who are having online relationships who follow our messages on the website. And they, they email in and they say, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Do you agree with, 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 with Christian dating sites? Do you agree that I should be able to have a relationship with this man or this woman that I've never met? You know? And what I do is tr- try to handle each case individually and look at each case on its own merits. And my normal reply to people goes something like this. The world has changed. And I understand that. It's a different world today. And even though I'm not very old, hallelujah, I do understand when I was a child, there was no such thing as Skyping with a girl in, you know, South America, like my friend just did. My very good friend, Peter Finch, married a woman he'd never met. <laughs> he did. Well, he was engaged to her to be married. He'd never met her. And he flew to Venezuela, spent three weeks there, and married her. I don't recommend it to be, uh, you know, I'm just giving you an example of the world in which we live. But you see, online relationships, which are becoming very common, uh, I don't mind, listen carefully, I don't mind a relationship starting there. Because there's Christian dating sites, in fact, we've done uh, Jim and Enchem and and many others, good solid marriages that come and God is using that all over the world. No problem. We've, We've got no hassle with that. I've got no problem with your relationship starting there. I have a problem if it stays there because it's not real. Okay? You need to get out of that unreality because that's what it is. You can't build a relationship with a person on Skype because there's no rain, there's no bills to pay, there's no problems. There's n- it's all unreal. It's unreality. And you need to be cautious, folks, particularly we're talking about the modern day, the spirit of the age. And one of those things, it's like reality TV. The more reality TV has become popular, the less reality people are living in. They're, not in the, they're watching somebody else's reality, sitting watching their lives. Instead of getting actually getting into your own life, growing up, right? And that's it. It is the spirit of the age. It's unreal, but that can be a telltale sign. Look, please listen, folks. Some people will get lonely, very lonely, and so they go into unreality. They imagine they're in this relationship. they, they read into everything. That's unreal. That's unreality, and, and it's a way of avoiding depression. Or if you have financial problems, you dream you're going to be a billionaire, a millionaire. On reality. Not able to live in the real world. Not able to keep your feet on the ground and do a day's work. On reality. Okay, and I think this is the biggest escapism. What do they call it? Schizophrenia. Where we have online... I'm I'm here with Jeanette and I'm talking to someone on Facebook. Excuse me. On reality. When I have my relationship here, but I would rather live in this unreal zone that doesn't demand anything of me, where I don't have to, you know, face up to the realities of life. No good. And another warning I I would put in is, be aware of this. Any online relationship will not satisfy. Because what is a relationship? A relationship is giving and receiving. A relationship is sacrifice and you just can't do that on Skype. Amen. It's just not real. And so the relationship's not real. So I've got no problem if it starts there. I've got a big problem. If it continues there, you need to be with that person, and then that's fine, under church guidance and church counsel. My friend actually, who, he, he went to a church pastor in Venezuela, made themselves accountable there, went through premarital counsel, and God bless them. He's a lovely guy, Peter. So ways people deal with it. Sleep, drink drugs, sexual promiscuity, unreality, or, of course, games. And that's something I did. I played snooker for years. Uh, It was a place to hide. I I hated those years. I wasn't saved back then. But it was unreality, you see. It's a game. It's a game. And when I'm watching the football, I'm in another world. And I can hide from reality. It just becomes a problem when you spend six or seven hours or ten hours playing snooker because I could easily do that. Not a problem. We would just go and, and, and spend the day there. Go out, get something, and come back and, and play for hours and hours and hours. It was unreality. But if you're saved, and the, the, the Holy Ghost is in you, you should begin to develop a distaste or that you don't get satisfaction from those type of things in the way you did. Nothing wrong with football. Play your football. I'm just saying it should lose its appeal the way it had. I was trying to recount the number of movies we've watched, Jeanette. I was thinking back. <laughs> Two. Remember when we were on honeymoon? We watched Tom Hanks in Castaway. Remember? <laughs> and we watched Titanic. That's it. That's it. We didn't watch anything else. And do you know why? Because as soon as if a film comes on, or a movie comes on, I sit there, I'm bored. It's not real. These are actors. does not anybody know that these are actors? Nothing wrong with a a, a film. I'm I'm not saying that. You know, go to the movies, choose carefully, etc. No problem. But what I am saying is, it's not real. And I don't need to immerse myself in that because it just lost its appeal. It lost something. Even when, you know, you go to the snooker club and, man, I loved snooker. I loved snooker. But once you're born again, you go in there and it just doesn't look the same. It doesn't have the same appeal, because whatever I lacked, I've now got that in God. Amen. So if you find yourself being pulled or distracted by Xbox or whatever, you're in your wrong reality. You're living in another world. You're hiding in that place. Come out of it. Come out of it, and you'll be much happier if you face the real world and develop real relationships. Make sacrifices and be blessed. Amen. Now, Elijah, as I say, is the Bible's best example of this. I think it's fantastic. I love that piece of scripture where there he is. He's just come from the prophets of Baal. It's been fantastic. And then Jezebel. (laughs) Jezebel says one word and he's gone. He's down and out. Awesome stuff. Really amazing stuff. We've looked at that in the past. But look at Elijah's pattern at the bottom of your notes. He felt total burnout. What do I mean by that? Look up at me, mate. Just, just pay attention one moment. Do you know what that is? Elijah felt, I've got nothing left to give in my marriage, in my work, in my church, in my Christian. I've got, I am totally and utterly empty. That's what he felt. Complete burnout. And that's not a place for a Christian to be. What had happened was Elijah, I reckon, was very fulfilled in ministry. He got a kick out of it. It was great. Go go for the prophets of the old, they're all defeated. Yes! And it was about Elijah, not about God. And if you do the things you do for yourself, trust me, the day will come when it won't continue. The day will come when it will stop. And like him, you might be cast down, depressed. I can't go on. I've got nothing to give my husband or wife. I've got nothing in work. I'm burnt out. And you know, in this place, it's where it all starts. Because in this place, the angel came to Elijah and he said, get up. Get up. And when you get up, you're going to serve God. And the things that you were doing you will now do for me. So go home, husband, and love your wife again. And even if you found it hard, wife, go home and this time dedicate it onto God. And any situation in your life, be it your work, your relationships, your vision, your future, anything, it's a blessed day. It's a great day when all things are burnt out and it's finished and you've got nothing left. It's a, wonder, it's a resurrection day. Remember, when Jesus is at his most dead, that's when he's just about to spring to life. And when you find in life, in any form, in any area, burnout, that's a good day. Because that's a day that you can start looking at it. And Elijah here, in my opinion, was unreal. Remember the blanket of deception? Turn to that. That's a great scripture. Turn to Matthew, uh, sorry, Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. On Friday nights between 6 and 7, just to let you know where I am. I'm downstairs in the church doing a 26-week course with the Eritreans. And, and on Friday night, we were looking at this particular scripture. Mark, chapter 14, verse 65 when I heard this years ago, it really helped me understand life and pains and sufferings I had to go through. Mark 1465. This is the soldiers beating up Jesus. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him. See that? Very important. They blindfolded him, and they struck him with their fists, and they said to him, "Prophesy." And the guards took their sticks and stuff and they beat him. Do you know what? look, this is you. This is Jesus. What did they do? They blindfolded him. And now you can't see the source of your pain. And then they took... Something's gone wrong. You've lost your job. Something's gone wrong. Arguments at home. And look at what they said. It's the the key. They said, who did it? Who did it? And you see the inference is, do you know what the inference is? That was God! Jesus, that was God because God hates you. Get it? You hate it. And Jesus, like you, when you go through pains and sufferings, I call this the blanket of deception. And it's a blanket of depression or misunderstanding that the devil loves to put over our lives. And underneath that blanket, this is your test. This is your burnout. This is when you've got nothing left. And underneath that blanket, Jesus stands strong. You can say amen. And he does not judge his father. That was your father. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was not my father. I know the source of that pain. And I reject you, Satan. Now, if you don't do that... In this situation, what are you going to become? Depressed. If you start to feel that the world hates you, you've got no friends, you're under there. And the devil's serving you up a plate full of discouragement. And if you eat it, there'll be a fresh plate every day. No problem. Fast food. He'll keep you discouraged. And the day comes when you have to grow up like Elijah. And you take this thing off and you say, no. I refuse to judge God. I refuse to blame Him for these things. I understand life. And some of you will get, in your life, listen to me. Some of you will get down. You'll get dreary. You'll get depressed because in your head, you think that every day will be a sunny day. In your mind, it should never rain on you. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> Because the Bible says that the sun shines on the righteous and on the unrighteous. It says that it rains on the wicked and on the good. When the tower fell and all those people were killed, they came to Jesus and they said, Look, see, bad people. What did Jesus say? Fools! You don't understand that this is the world that I gave it to Adam. I gave him dominion. That tower could fall on you. So go. You see, he wanted them to understand that we're in this world, and believe me, troubles will come. They've actually been promised. But if you don't understand that when you're in this situation, and if you can't get up out of that and glorify God and serve God and give it to Him, give it to Him. Get up in the morning when you don't want to go to work and get down on your knees and say, God, I'm a Christian, and they all know I'm a Christian. And I'm going in here and I'm a bad witness for you. Look at my attitude. I give this day to you. And I will do it for you. Hallelujah. Husbands, love your wives. I can't do it for him. Wives, submit to your husbands in all things except sin. I can't do it for him. And that's how you survive. And if you're serious about God, you will come this route. You're not exempt. If you're serious about God, now you can stand still and just live in the wilderness the rest of your days. That's, that's up to you. It's your problem. You can choose to do that. But if you choose and to take God seriously, then you will have to come through that test sometime in your life like he did. And a day will come when you will have to get up out of bed and do everything you do for who? For God Almighty. And it will be what? It will be one day at a time. And you'll no longer be serving yourself, and that is a wonderful thing. But if you don't do it, if you don't get through that test, you can end up in depression. Simple as that. Not knowing and then getting very confused in this situation. That's the, Elijah's pattern. He was in burnout, but on the other column, he needed to understand how to become a living sacrifice. As soon as, you see, as soon as faith leaves you, what comes in? If I, if I have a jar here that's a vacuum and I take the lid off, what goes in? Air. Boom. Just like that. You have faith in you. If I take the faith out, what comes in? Fear. Straight away. You will become fearful of everything, right? And I I repeat what I said at the beginning. Your best people, the best Christians that are around you, are most often the ones, very often the ones, who are actually susceptible to depression. Look, if you never expect anything of God, you're not going to be disappointed. But if you're someone who expects great things, reaches for great things, there's the potential to be disappointed, right? Right? And there's the potential to go through those struggles. I'll never forget the day, Jeanette, when I was down, man. I was very down. We were in the drop-in center, and you hadn't come in yet. I was there on my own. And I I talked to God about Elijah. And I said to God, it says in another place, it says this, Elijah expected great things of God. And I said to God in that place, in Keepnet Christian Center in Dublin, I said, God, I'm very disappointed. I expected great things of you. And look, the place we're struggling with this. I'm very disappointed. And she had a bike. And she used to bump into the door. You know, she arrived, boom, on the bike. And out of her mouth, she said, Elijah was a man who expected great things of God. And he was not disappointed. I thought, right. Well, that's nice and clear, isn't it? Jesus, you will not be disappointed. I thought, my God, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for reaching me as I was just about to slip. Thank you for snatching me back and letting me know that you're there. Hallelujah. Praise God. But that, if you are sincere, if you do want to serve God, He will feed you. He we sent the, the ravens to feed Elijah because he was weak, like a child. And any Christian, all Christians are like that, you know. You're like that, whether you like it or not. The odd thing about the human race is you have a baby. It can't look after itself. You have to feed it. You have to clothe it. You have to clean up after it. That's what you're like. That's what Elijah was like. Time to grow up. i tell you what. And he fed him. He nourished him. Strengthened him for the battle. And if you're in burnout, folks, I repeat, it's a good place to be. Remember I told you, not many. Li- I'm not a depressing person or a depressed person at all. It's the opposite of everything we are. But I've, we've had a few bad times. Probably one of the worst times was in Liverpool when we were working there. And I'll never forget it. Once again, at my darkest moment, the Lord God saved me and came to me and spoke to me. I was walking through a very busy street called Bold Street on a busy, very busy Saturday. I'd left Jeanette at home. I just wanted to get out and I was in a busy street and I started crying and I couldn't control my tears. And I wanted to get into a laneway just to cry and be on my own. And in the middle of that crowd came a voice shouting, Mike McKeever! Just like that. You look up, It's that God, you know? Mike McKeever! And through the crowd came a guy. I know you. You saved my brother's life. I don't know. I, don't, I vaguely remembered the face. You saved my brother's life. And what I'd given his brother was teaching tapes, actually, food. His brother was an alcoholic living on the street. Needed a bit of food, that's all. Just needed somebody to feed him. Somebody to help him. He was homeless. His brother wasn't, but the the other brother was. Living on the streets of Liverpool. And he came to one of our events and he wanted he wanted some tapes at the back as a big, big set, like 20 quid set, and the pastors wouldn't give it to him. <laughs> and someone came up to me and says, The guy at the back trying to take some of your tapes, you know. I said, For heaven's sake, give it to him. What's wrong with you? Give it to him. He wants he wants it. Give it to him. But he hasn't got any money. I don't care if he's got any money. Give him the tapes. Heaven's above. Somebody wants to know about God and you're thinking about money. Give it to him. And he took it. And his brother, this guy, came to me and he said, he doesn't even have a tape recorder. I don't care. It was a long time ago, tapes, you know what I mean? That was him. That was him on that street. And he said to me, you know that boy, that, that my brother? They're a full-time preacher now, working for Frontline Church in Liverpool. In fact, he was going to meet him at an outreach. And he said, come with me. I said, I'm not going... I've heard what I needed to hear. I was just about to die. And God sent His word and rescued me again. I was at burnout. I was finished. And He found me, He saw me. And that's the story here. And that should be, can be, your story too. Look what Elijah did next. First, he was burnout and he needed to know how to become a sacrifice. He became terrified, it said. He was afraid of Jezebel. And thirdly, he wanted to run away. Folks, running away is not the answer. Look at me. You know you? You don't need another job. You don't need to go to another city. You don't need to run away to another church and hide from yourself. Because if you go to another church, who's going to be there? You are. You are. And if you go to another city, who's going to be there? ha oh. How did that happen? You don't need to change your job. You don't need to change your church. You, don't need to, you need to change your attitude. Hallelujah. That's what you need to change. And it's a blessed day for you when you face up to yourself. Have you got any idea how Christians get depressed because they refuse to take responsibility? They're you up, you know. Pastor, what sort of church is this? My freezer's broken down. What kind of church is it? What sort of pastor are you? Huh? I can't get BBC One. Where are you? Come on. But you know that type of mindset? That type of mindset is nothing will ever go wrong in my life. And if it does, I tell you what, it's the church's fault. It's my husband's fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my pastor's fault. But there's one person whose fault it never is. It's not mine. It's definitely not mine. (laughs) You will get depressed, my friend. Because you are living in unreality. And the day has to come when you say, I will stand up and I will take responsibility for my own life. That's what I'll do. I'll get out from under that blanket. Too easy to live in there. Too easy to be put down by the devil and give him his way with your thinking, with your mind, so that you end up twisted. And of course it's so well manifest in speech when you listen to people speak it's the content of their heart and it can be so bad. So don't run away. That's, you're just running away from yourself. Next, you see that he had a complete absence of faith. And when you're in that place, you need to get faith in God's will and renew your faith in God's will. Read those Sunday school Bible stories again and see how thousands of people before you, much worse off than you, succeeded because of him, because of God. And how you too can succeed absence of faith he ended up with suicidal tendencies saying that he wanted to die my god that's a long way to go elijah a few days ago you were rebuking the prophets of Baal. that was quick goodness me wanted to kill himself and i i, I repeat folks this is the spirit of the age and you may be as happy as larry here today no problem but please understand don't think about yourself you need to be able to minister to a world out there that does kill themselves. Amen. We need to do our job and we need to understand how they're thinking. Remember Stuart, I can't remember his second name, Stuart Miller, who died recently. He lives under the Erskine Bridge just down the road and we went to visit him when he was sick many times. And I couldn't believe what he told me. He lived right beneath the bridge, you know, old Kilpatrick. And he said, we were sitting there, and he said, yeah, but two people a month throw themselves off that bridge. Imagine living there. Move! God help us. Two people a month throw themselves off the bridge. And I remember thinking, that can't be right. I never hear. I said, Stuart, it's still just to year. It's only down the road. I said, Stuart, not two people a month. It couldn't be because it's never on the news. He said, no, it's never on the news. It doesn't make the news. It has to be something special. It has to be something different. But a suicide, it's no news. So you don't hear about it. But we reckon two a month. How do we know? Because the ambulances, the helicopters, always the same. They come and they follow the body down and they pluck them out of the water. I thought, wow. You could walk past our door, Chris. You could walk past the door in the church on the way to the bridge and you could stop them. Hallelujah. They're all around us. It's the spirit of the age. That has no value for life. What's the point? Just go top yourself. This is spirit of the age. Sixthly, he had very low self-esteem. And he had low self-esteem because he had really... uh, He had an inflated ego. He thought he was bigger and better than he actually was. He defeated the prophets of Baal and that made him all puffed up. And then Jezebel knocks him out. And suddenly Elijah realizes that he's not as big as great. As he thought. And that's a good day, but it gave him a low self-esteem. He should have just put his hope in God, which he did do in the end. Depressive moods. He was extremely depressed in that circumstance. Folks, remember what we said about habits. You can thank God that you do not have clinical depression. Amen? You can thank God. But let me warn you of this. Look at me, everybody here. Do not play games with bad moods. And if you are susceptible to slipping into moodiness and, and, and it, it will start to increase and you're getting deeper and deeper, that mood will turn into a what? A spirit. You will go from habit, having a bad habit, to having a bad spirit. And you don't want to do that. You need to deal with depression head on. Deal with it straight on. Now, obviously, we have to deal with this every day. And it, it's, it drive you crazy. A person will not go to cell group. They'll sit at home. They want everybody to come to them. They will not go to prayer meeting. They'll sit at home and be miserable. They will not come out on a night like tonight. And then when you go and visit them, they'll say, I'm lonely. Hello? <laughs> I would be lonely too. Get off your backside. Come on. Come on. Do you know what the Bible says? The sluggard puts his hand in the dish and is too lazy to bring it to his mouth. Someone else can feed me. Someone feed me. That's the spirit of the age. So I'm just saying, folks, believe me. People get lonely, they get sad, they get depressed because of their own immature Christian behavior. Nudge your neighbor say he's not talking about me. <laughs> right? Depressive moods depressive moods, they are very often self-inflicted. They're self-inflicted wounds that you put upon yourself. Yes, they are, folks. Seventhly, and now it's getting serious, he's lost his appetite. Now you know it's bad when he doesn't want his food. (laughs) But loss of appetite is a sign, and I would warn you once again, if, if your husband, your wife, your child, your friend, you notice that they're that down that they, they do stop eating. What did God do? He fed Elijah. And the last one there is cynicism. He he became very cynical. And that's a terrible place. I'm not a cynical person, thank God. I Never have been. I, 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 thank God for that. I wouldn't want to live with a cynical mind. You have a lot to be grateful for. Tonight at 6:30, look at me a minute. Tonight at 6:30 we're having a testimony evening. And it's an evening where you, Jim Tran, is going to oversee it for us. Going to do our MC. And it's an evening where I invite you to come out from under that blanket and to go public. Come out, take the mic, and thank God. Come out and say, do you know what? In spite of all the troubles i 've had tonight, I want to say, God, you are faithful, you are faithful, you are faithful, you have seen me through. Tonight at six thirty is testimony night where we 're going to hear from each other, and if you want to glorify God and tell us how He has seen you through, then please come and do so. It is healthy for you and for me to remember the tragedy that other people live in, just in case you're hard done by. I'm going through a very tough time in my life, the toughest I have ever had. It's as much as I can do, folks, to stand here. Believe me, this is my hardest moment, my darkest hour right now. And it's very difficult. But this week, as I say, it's very helpful to look at other people sometimes. This week, I went to visit Linda Murray, you know Linda Agnes, some of you won't know her. Linda was with us for years and years. Absolutely fantastic lady, wonderful, one of my heroes. I'm not just saying that, I, I really mean it. I think is a very special, like you Gordon, very special person, people that are different and will not let negative speech, will not let negative speech out of their mouths. Fantastic to be with people like that. Linda grew up in Summerstone. And she met Jamie and they had four children. And one day she comes home and the first child is dead in bed. He's just been saved. Just born again. And caught death. And so she has to go and bury her own son at twenty-three. And she gets saved after his death. Winston and Eunice baptize her here. And then salvation sweeps through the whole family, but the other son gets in a lot of trouble, has a very hard life, and I won't go into any more detail, enough said. A very hard life. Then Linda gets cancer, which she still has today. And just a few weeks ago, her husband was diagnosed with cancer. And her son, Patrick, who I know well, suffers from great depression. I I don't say that... to put you down folks I say it to make you think about yourself my God when I sit with Linda do you know what she says to me she says praise God praise God praise Jesus I love my Jesus he's seen me through it all he's seen me through every beat and I know it's not him I know he died for me and you're not gonna fool me Satan I will see you, Jesus. I will get through this. Hallelujah. And it's so edifying to sit with Linda. It's so edifying. I feel like I'm going to school. Teach me, Mom. Teach me how to do that. That what you do. Teach me that. That's fantastic. Because on Sunday here, folks, you can say praise God. And you can say hallelujah. But when you're in her situation, and you say, sacrifice of praise, hallelujah, it means something. It means something. It's costing you. Hallelujah. So you make an assessment of your life, and I encourage you tonight, praise God, thank God for all he is. Kay, can we sing hallelujah? You know that song with hallelujah in the chorus? Why don't we sing that? a moment. Thank you. Just stand, folks. Lord, I know these things are hard for many of us to hear, but we take them from you, Father. Father, we take them from you. I have been childish. And God, we we blame you for so many things. And this morning, we want to vindicate you. We want to say that you're not guilty, God. Of anything wrong, any crime in my life, you have done nothing to me, God, but good. you love us through and through, and we vindicate you. I just invite you to do that very thing yourself. Daddy God, Abba Father, come and revive the Spirit within us. And each of us here, we take responsibility to grow up and to be Christians who would please you, like Elijah, Christians who will stand up, get up and eat, he said. Get up and receive the word, in other words. I pray every person here, as they're on their feet now, that they will receive the word. And it will change them. You are what you eat. And I pray that you will become this living word. In Jesus' name.